Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we're busy with this series of Ephesians in Him and through Him. And I trust that you guys have been having an awesome time as we've been going through the series. And this morning we're on part 13. So um, if you uh, haven't been part of any of it, then uh, there's 12 parts that you get to catch up on. Um, you don't need to catch up on it, but uh, we make the, the, the teachings available on SoundCloud for whenever you do miss out on a specific part or a specific message. But it's also an awesome way for us to um, get the word out there, right? Um, to share the message with others who weren't able to come this morning or whatever the case may be. Um, so let's be purposeful about uh, sharing other um, with our own experiences, with our own words, with our own um, personalities, maybe even. But also if we, we feel really stirred to share a specific teaching or specific word with someone else, then uh, go for it. It is available for you guys. So the book of Ephesians, like we've uh, discussed and just recap quickly, first part of Ephesians is all about our identity in Christ. It's all about what he's done for us. It's all about the spirit of God living in man. And then the second part of Ephesians is all about because of that, what is, what is the, 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 the change and the transformation that we can live in because of God's spirit, because of our identity being in him. Then just a quick recap for us from the last time we were together in Ephesians. We looked at um, in chapter four, and we're going to continue on in chapter four in a moment, and we'll recap on a few of those verses. But we looked at how God brought one gift, and it's the gift of the Holy Spirit to live in man, and that one gift brought about the diversity of gifts to the, to the body of Christ, right? So it's one gift, and within that one gift, there's diversities of gifts. So picture it like this. Um, when someone gives you a gift on your birthday, and uh, you unwrap the gift and you find out, oh, okay, cool, I, I received the cell phone, then that one gift has got a diversity of functions, right? There's diversity of, of things that I can use my cell phone for. I can use it to call. I can use it to text. I can use it to go on the internet. There's diversity, but it's all within this one gift, right? And that's the same with the Holy Spirit. You've received that one gift, the Spirit of God living in you, and within that one gift, there's diversities of gifts that he wants to live through you, that he wants to work through you. Amen. And that, that the diversity of gifts and the Holy Spirit is working as for a specific purpose. He's working as to accomplish a specific thing. And that one thing is in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, says that God wills for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will and desire from the beginning of time was for every man to have his spirit live in him. Um, or for, for every man to have God's spirit living in them. And we get to make that come to pass through sharing the gospel. Because it's the gospel. The gospel contains the message of salvation. The gospel is the message that this is God's heart. That Jesus came to accomplish a specific purpose. To make that a reality. To do, make that, uh, I should rather say, a possibility. Before Jesus came, that was not a possibility. In the Garden of Eden... God gave that option and that ch uh, choice for man, for Adam and Eve to choose of the fruit of the tree of life. And they did not choose that specific fruit. And even today, we get to choose the fruit of the tree of life, which is Jesus. 
And as we choose that, we experience salvation. And as we experience salvation, we get to experience relationship with God, which leads to more truth and more freedom. There's no super saints in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen? It's not 18 as a super saint and all of us have to kind of uh, learn from and glean from his amazing wisdom and his personality and all of those things. We get to experience the same Holy Spirit and we get to live him out in different ways, but for a specific purpose, the same purpose for all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. All of us get to partake in making that a reality. I love this this past week. It was an awesome kind of just a way of rephrasing this. Each one of us gets to make God's greatest dream come true. Each one of us, on a daily basis, we get to make the dream of God come true for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The people that you get to do life with, your colleagues, your family, if you've got the Spirit of God living in you and you've received that amazing gift, That's already you making a dream of God come true for you as a person to receive that gift. And that's a dream of God to come true. But he's got that same dream for every individual on the face of the earth. To be saved, to receive salvation and to come to knowledge of the truth. And we get to be partakers of making that a reality. So man, we get to God Almighty, we get to make these dreams come true by partaking on a daily basis. Amen. That should excite you, man. That's exciting to realize that. Man, imagine your wife or uh, the person you love the most or uh, the person you want to please the most. You get to make their dreams or their, their dreams come true or make them a reality, right? And we get to do that for God, our Father, our Creator. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to recap from verse 11. New Living Translation, verse 11 to 13 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So recapping again, these gifts, like we've already addressed, or, uh, now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Firstly, understanding again that the gifts of the Spirit, the diversities of the gifts of the Spirit is given to the body of Christ for a specific purpose. It's given to the church and their responsibility, like we looked at previously, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church. So why does His work? Before we answer that, I want to just read verse 12 and 13 from the living Bible, and it says, why is it that he gives us these special abilities to do, to do certain things best? It is that God's people will be equipped to do better work for him, building up the church, the body of Christ, to a position of strength and maturity, until finally we all believe alike about our salvation and about our Savior, God's Son, and all become full grown in the Lord, yes, to the point of being filled full with Christ. Okay, now there's a few things I want us to consider from these, these verses. And firstly, again, we established this previously, but I just want to reestablish it again. Whose responsibility is it to do these things? Now there's a partnership involved, but ultimately it's the gift of the Spirit. It's God's Spirit in man 
That's the empowering. Without God's spirit in man, it is not a possibility. Or if it's a possibility, it's going to be a strain. If we're not leaning on that empowering, if we're not drawing from his spirit in us, making this come to pass. We see this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where it says that this is the gift of the spirit. And through that, you've been given the ability, the empowering to be witnesses unto me in all the earth. Okay, so that is the empowering. It's God's spirit. It's his gifting in us. It's his responsibility. But we co-laboring with that. We're drawing from that. We're yielding to that. But the empowering comes from Christ, from Christ's spirit in us. And what is the work? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our church? Like I've addressed, and we need to reiterate this, because oftentimes we get, we get caught up in thinking this is the purpose of God or this is the will of God and he wants this for me and he wants that for me. And yes, there's good things that God desires for us, definitely. But ultimately, there's one thing that is really, really important for us to realize, that eternity is forever and this life here on earth is not forever. Right? You guys get there's a difference. Eternity is forever. There's no end to eternity. But this life that we're living here on earth is very temporal. 80 years, 100 years, 120 years, like kind of ballparking around those numbers. But eternity is forever. So we need to always keep that in mind as we're doing life, as we're making decisions, asking what is the will of God, understanding that eternity is forever and His desire for us. What is His work for? The Living Bible says, to do work for Him, building up, the church. His work is to build up the church and he does that through us. And what is that? Does that mean a physical building of, of churches, like high-rising buildings and amazing auditoriums? No, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about a physical building. It's talking about you and me. It's talking about people. It's talking about family, expanding the family of God, expanding and building the church through that, but not just in, in numbers, but also in depth. That is Numbers is salvation in the sense, and the depth is knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 2 verse 4. So it's coming to know Christ, but then being discipled in that truth and into that reality. The King James Version, I like how I want to compare these, these phrases quickly. Two things. It's talking about in verse 13. We're going to focus in on verse 13 for a moment. It's talking about unity in our faith and knowledge of the son the living bible says i like how the living bible says this believe alike about our salvation and our savior now believing alike or having faith and coming to the knowledge it's not two different things that the living bible puts it as as basically one thing believe alike about what about two things but being believing alike about those two things believing alike about our salvation believing alike about jesus now, those two things are the same thing, right? Because salvation without Christ is not really salvation. And Christ without salvation is not really Christ. So it's one and the same thing. And God's desire for us through the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is to make this a reality that there's a, a unity, a unanimity. That was awesome. <laughs> unanimity. Yeah, that's the word. It, it, it sounds strange. When I read it, I was like, just a fancy way of saying unity unanimity um having like a, a unanimous view and approach on this matter 
and the matter of Jesus Christ and salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 13 from the Amplified Classic. Let's look at that quickly. Verse 13 from Amplified Classic says, that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood. Say mature with me quickly. I know some of you don't like that word. And in grace circles, it seems like it's a word that we should not use, right? Because uh, by God's grace, we don't need to mature. Anyone heard that scripture before? It's not a scripture. It's not a verse. It's not in the Bible. By God's grace... We are called to maturity. We are empowered for maturity. Paul wrote, wrote about this. And uh, Paul is one of those guys that, that uh, accomplished a lot in his earthly ministry. And his very short earthly ministry, if I could add that even. He accomplished much. And he said, and then he wrote to the church in Corinth. And he says that um, by God's grace, I am what I am. And what, I, what I've accomplished is a... Uh, I labored more abundantly than they all, but it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God that was given to me. So there's a, a laboring and a maturity that we get to experience by God's grace. So it says here that we might arrive at really mature manhood. Then it says in brackets there, the completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and the completeness found in him. Now that's a mouthful and there's so much in there. And your religious mind automatically wants to say impossible. Religiously speaking, we, 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 we kind of, we always kind of sell ourselves short or not even ourselves. We sell the, the power of the Holy Spirit short of what he can accomplish through us. And what I say accomplished through us, don't think now about signs, wonders, and miracles, even though it's part of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But what is more important than that and what is more pressing on God's heart is not for you to flow in power and see miracles and things like that, but to actually demonstrate the love of Christ to someone who doesn't deserve it to the degree where they receive and come to know Jesus and they are transformed by that Love. They are transformed by receiving the Spirit of God living inside of them. Because that is going to change the person's entire life, not only here on earth, but for all of eternity. And so that's God's desire for us. His heart for us is to come to know Him. But we come to know Him through coming to know the Son, coming to know why Jesus came, accomplished for us on the cross. The Holy Spirit and these gifts are to help us. To help us with what? Come to true faith, salvation in Jesus. Because salvation is about faith. Faith is about salvation. Oftentimes we, we want to operate in faith and we make faith about all of these, these things that we believe in God for and we trust in God for. But ultimately at its core, at its simple definition, faith is believe in who God is. Faith is believing that God says who he says he is and he's done what he said he, he, he did. That's salvation. That's faith. Faith in Jesus and true knowledge, which is relationship of Jesus. And where else do we see this? These verses, what we're seeing in Ephesians chapter 14, believing alike about salvation and our Savior, unity in our faith and knowledge of the Son, 
It's basically 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.4. We will have all men saved, salvation, faith and salvation, and to come to the knowledge of the truth, knowledge of the Son. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's God's desire for us, and that is the reason for the Holy Spirit, is to bring this, bring this possibility to the world, because it's a possibility, whether the world knows it or not. But it's only when they come to know this that they can receive it. You cannot reject what you don't know. So we have got this amazing privilege and honor to bring this knowledge, this possibility to the world, to our unsaved loved ones, to unsaved friends or colleagues, or the people in our neighborhood. We've got the awesome privilege to bring this to their knowledge and then they get to receive reject. But this is first on God's heart, 24-7, for all of eternity, it's been for his spirit to live in man and for us to get to know him more personally, more intimately. Faith in Jesus isn't about what we do, it's about what he is and what he has done and us accepting that. That's what faith is about. That is what our faith was intended for, to believe on Jesus Christ. I said it like this as well. It's about accepting the reality that as Adam and Eve needed to eat of the fruit of the tree of life, so all we need to do is to take of the tree of life, Jesus. That's all that God created Adam and Eve for. Hey guys, there's a garden. Enjoy. Eat of everything. Just enjoy it. There's just one fruit that I don't want you to eat of. The tree of life, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And some of us, and it's like this, this, obviously human inclination from the fall of man, we're like, oh man, why can't I eat that one fruit? There were thousands of fruit, but we, we focus on that one. Like there's so many good things happening in your life, but how, how easy is it to focus on the one bad thing that happened this past week? To get bogged down in that one bad thing that happened this past week. And this is God's desire. Again, like, like I said, from the beginning of time, Use that one thing, Jesus, faith in him, faith in God's spirit wanting to live in man, believing on that. There's nothing more to salvation than receiving this gift, the Holy Spirit living in you. From there, we get to enjoy this unbroken communion with God our Father, getting to know him through relationship. Let's jump down to verse 14 and 15. And so it's awesome to see how the Holy Spirit's desire and the Holy Spirit gift to the body of Christ is to bring this, this to pass, this, this, this like-mindedness and this, this faith in this simple thing, Jesus Christ for salvation and getting to know Jesus Christ in man and through man. Ephesians 4, 14 to 15 says, Then... We will no longer be immature like children. Say, no longer. Immature. Amen. Amen. No longer immature like children. So it's through this, through this knowledge, through this revelation, through coming to know one thing, Jesus as salvation, Jesus in relationship and my oneness with him, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way 
more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, question to consider. Are your arms attached to your body? Good stuff. And it looks as if no one's lied and um, your guy's arms are attached to your body. But your arms being attached to your body, does it automatically by default mean that your arms are going to grow? For example, if you go to the gym, some guys focus a lot on their arms. And they focus not so much on the lower part, like the legs. Those who are laughing, you've seen the pictures. And um, so just by default, just because your arms are attached to your body, just because your legs are attached to your body, isn't automatically a default or a, a, a reality that it's going to grow in sync. It's going to grow in proportion. We need to purpose it. As you go to gym, you purpose to focus on specific muscle groups. And we are the body of Christ, and God's desire for us is to mature together as a body, but that's not going to happen automatically or by default just because we're part of the body. It's a truth, and it's not going to change. You are part of the body of Christ, but you get to decide how much you are partaking of the body and how much you are being matured in and through the body. We need to purpose maturity as much as we purpose going to the gym, as much as we purpose um, anything in life. We need to purpose and, 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 and put it in our, in our forefronts to understand and come to this awareness that, hey, I have not arrived. Anyone here this morning who has not arrived yet? Wow, I need to, like, I need to do a lot of work because uh, some of you think that you've arrived. Man, um, I'm just joking. Like, you're allowed to uh, have fun in church as well and laugh a little bit. But we need to. It's, growth starts by identifying where you are at. You can't go somewhere if you don't know where you are on the map, right? If someone drops you off and you're blindfolded and they just kind of leave you in the middle of uh, the Karoo, three sisters, they drop you off there and they say, okay, cool, now get to Muscle Bay. You don't have a map, you don't know where you are at, which way are you going to go? You don't know which way to go if you don't know where you are. So it's the same with immaturity. If you don't know that you're immature in a specific area, you can't grow out of that immaturity. It's called humility, guys. It's not saying, oh, I'm this sorry person. This is where I'm at. No, this is where I'm at. But praise God that through the spirit living inside of me, I don't need to stay there. But you need to identify that there are areas of growth in your life. I've got areas of growth in my life. You can ask my wife. There's a lot of areas of growth. But unless I identify them and, I, and unless I bring it to Jesus, I won't grow from those things. But it's awesome also to see this picture of maturity again. And the whole letter of Ephesians is written to a church. It's written to a community. It's not written to the individual. Now, why is that important to, to know? Because growth and maturity often happens in family, in church, in community. You get a lot of people who, who want to be isolated and they want to just kind of, if they, if they had their, their will and if they had their desire, then they would just stay in their room, listen to teaching, study the word, and never leave that room. Think they're going to mature. You don't mature in isolation. You mature in the community because in the community, you're going to be challenged. 
You're going to be rubbed the wrong way. You're going to get opportunities to be offended. Some of you have had opportunities to be offended this morning already through my message. But if you choose not to be offended and get into the word and then out of his spirit to show you what I'm trying to communicate and believe that I actually love you, I don't try to offend you, then you can grow from that area and grow in that area. Now let's look at the, the phrase here. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. Now this phrase tossed and blown, in the Greek it's the word and it's translated Cludo nizumai. Cludo nizumai. Now, why am I explaining this word or using this word for you, uh, for you guys? Is because it's, it's a big word and it sounds fancy. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, the, the, the word goes on to, um, and I want to sound like I'm from Asia somewhere. Cludo nizumai. Um, <laughs> sound like I'm speaking Mandarin. Um, this word, it means to, to, to surge or to fluctuate. And in some translations, uh, and in James, he writes about uh, not to be tossed like the waves of the ocean. It's a, it's, a, it's a fluctuating, it's a up and down, it's a backwards and forwards, not kind of knowing which way to go. Like you're just being tossed. Like if you're in, uh, just on a board or on a, on a floating um, piece of wood in the middle of the ocean, cast away, like you're just going to, without a paddle, without a steering capabilities you're just going to go with the motion of the ocean so to speak like you've got no direction and this is the the picture that it's trying to create and it's also it's almost creating this picture of leading it to immaturity it's like a baby a baby doesn't know how to make decisions it's like it just has to kind of just go with things mom says it's time they need to feed okay cool it's now this it's sleeping time they need to sleep so they just have to go with it but as we mature, we get established in something and then we no longer like people who are just kind of going backwards and forwards from one teaching to another teaching. Now, the question to ask is, what is a new teaching? Because it's using this phrase, new teaching or, or new doctrine. Now, what is a new teaching? What is it in reference to? Is a new teaching something you haven't heard before? We have to ask these questions. What's a new teaching? Is it new just because you haven't heard it before? Because the word says here, yeah, we shouldn't be blown about by every wind of new teaching. So we need to establish what's a new teaching so that we can know what are we not going to be swayed around about. So what's a new teaching? Is it something you haven't heard before? When is it a new, a, a new teaching? When the major, majority voted it as a new teaching or how does it happen? Like, do we vote what is new teachings? Do we like, where do we get an understanding of what a new teaching is all about? I said, uh, we're going to have a good time this morning. I'm going to ask questions. You guys should be thinking about these questions. It's not rhetorical questions. Even though I'm not waiting for response per se from you guys, I want you to think about it and ask these questions. What's a new teaching? What is it in reference to? Until the reappearing of Jesus, we're going to hear new things. We're going to hear things we haven't heard before. And that may, might be scary for you guys. It might be upsetting for some of you because you thought you knew it all. When we embrace it as like, cool, I'm going to hear new things. And it's okay to new, new, hear new things. And it's God's desire for me to hear new things because unless I, knew, unless I hear new things, I can't embrace what is God for me and I'll be stuck where I'm at currently. There's a book, a secular book, Good to Great. 
by Jim Collins. And, and it's this whole concept of a lot of companies were good, but they never became great. And it's, it's this phrase of good is the greatest enemy to great. Good is the, the biggest enemy for you to go from being good to actually being great. Because you think that it's good, like you, you're making your million, so it's good. BlackBerry was a good phone. They did good. BlackBerry messaging is what's good, right? Anyone ever had a BlackBerry? I'm pretty sure all of us in this room had a BlackBerry. Who today has a BlackBerry? No one. Why? Because they were happy with being good. Now, in order to go from good to great, you need to change. You need to accept new information. You need to consider that there might be things that you do not know. And that is what I believe we as a ministry has really cultivated this, this heart to be open to new things. Not new teachings, but new information. What is a new teaching? I said we're going to answer that. Hebrews 13, 8 to 9 from the Living Bible. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange and new ideas. So verse 9 is re-emphasizing and re-communicating the same thing about new teachings. So do not be attracted by strange and new ideas. Your spiritual strength comes as a gift from God, not from ceremonial rules about eating certain foods, a method which, by the way, hasn't helped those who have tried it. Just want to read from the King James quickly. Hebrews 13, 8 to 9. says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which has profited them that have been uh, occupied, who has not profited them that have been occupied therein. So it's new or strange when it's different from the original. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever, meaning from the beginning of time, Jesus has been the desire for God. It's been fellowship with man. It's been God's desire for his spirit to live in man. From the beginning of time, that has been God's desire. It hasn't changed. His will hasn't changed. His will has been the same from the beginning of time when the promise was made for his spirit to live in man, for an unbroken fellowship, an unbroken communion. So it's different. It's a strange doctrine. It's a different doctrine. It's a different teaching or new teaching when it's different from the original Jesus. It's new or strange when it takes away from Christ and him being the same from the beginning of time. It's different. It's new. It's strange if it's contradicting that being God's will and desire for his spirit to live in man, to have unbroken fellowship with man through Jesus Christ. It's new or strange when it doesn't line up with the gospel message preached from the beginning of time for God's spirit to live in man, for him to have perfect fellowship with man. I'm re-emphasizing the same thing. We need to understand what a new teaching is so that we aren't swayed by a new teaching or new doctrine or strange doctrine. The gospel is God's desire to be one with us and to enjoy unbroken fellowship with us. If it's not new to that, if it's not different to that, then it's not a new teaching. It's not a strange doctrine. Romans 6 says this, verse 10, 11 from the Amplified. For by the death he died, talking about Jesus, he died to sin, ending his relation to it once for all. And the life that he lives, he is living to God in unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, in light of that, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, but alive to God, living in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. 
How do we make this a reality? How do we make God's dream, his desire a reality? We get to, and this is awesome. This is where a lot of people kind of misunderstand the, the sovereignty of God. They think that because God desires us and because the story has been written from the beginning of time to the end, things are just going to happen by default. It doesn't work like that because without free will, man doesn't have a decision. Man doesn't have a choice, but God has given us free will. He's given us a choice to make this a reality. Every person gets to receive or reject. And that is as easy as it gets. We receive, we believe this message about God's love and his grace towards us. And we are made complete in Christ. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 15, we're coming to close from the Passion Translation says, When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are the people saying about me, the son of man? Who do they believe I am? And they answered, some are convinced you are John the baptizer. Others say you are Elijah reincarnated or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, who do you say I am? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? What was Jesus asking you? He wasn't asking a question about intellectually knowing who he is or talking about just knowing when Jesus' birthday is, so to speak, and all. He was talking, he was asking them a spiritual question. Because if you know who Jesus is, you would know God's desire. You would know God's will when you knew who Jesus was. Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. Verse 16 and 18 from Living Bible says this, Simon Peter answered, the Christ. So he's answering the question. Simon said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. There's a lot in there. I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. Verse 17. God has blessed you, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus said, for my father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. You are Peter, a stone, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. This is awesome. This is powerful. So Peter answers. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter is answering here, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. Peter is answering here what is written in Ephesians chapter 4. Who Jesus is as the Christ, the Messiah, our salvation, and the son of the living God coming to know him. This is God's desire for all men to come to salvation through Jesus Christ as the only way. As a simple way of believing on Jesus, dying for our sins, and the Spirit of God living in man, and coming to know the Spirit through relationship, through intimacy. And Jesus said, God has blessed you, Simon, for my Father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. This is not from any human source. You are Peter, a stone, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the only way for God's church to be built, to be established. It's through this understanding. Jesus Christ is the same. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Jesus Christ is salvation. It's God's Spirit living in man, and now we get to know, come to know him personally as his sons and his daughters. And that is what Jesus meant when he said, upon this rock I will build my church. God's church cannot be built through any other way. It's through coming to know Jesus as the Son of God, our salvation, and coming to know Jesus as our Father, enjoying that union with Him. God has one desire from the beginning of time for us coming to believe and accept 
this desire for all men to be saved, to come to knowledge of the truth, believe and accept that as the final and complete. This is the key to our maturing in everything Christ is. When we come to make this our main thing, our main goal in life, to realize that through the Spirit of God living in me, I've been filled with the fullness. I've been made complete. Colossians 2.10. I am His workmanship. Through the Spirit of God in me, He's working that through me. He's perfecting him, Himself through me as I'm yielding to that. But it's not something I need to do. It's something I just need to receive and believe. This is the key to greater increase and in fruitfulness in our lives and the kingdom of God being established on earth. Believing on Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Him being the Son of the living God. Coming to the full knowledge of that truth and what that means for us today as His sons, His daughters, His brothers, His friends. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.